Welcome to the You Can Man podcast, episode 74. I'm Josh. I'm Tim. And I'm Dave. And on this week's episode, The Cannonball Run with Ed Bolian. All right, guys, welcome back to the You Can Man podcast, where we believe what one man can do, you can do as well with the proper know-how and a little help from your friends. We've got Ed Bolian again this week joining us. Last week, we talked all about his amazing app that he created, Vin Wiki, which is all about car stories. And so... If you did not catch that, definitely go back and, and check out that the backstory of how he created the app. Uh, just crazy stories of how he used to have an exotic car rental business. And then he sold Lamborghinis in Atlanta. I mean, this guy is just, I mean, what hasn't he done? And so I'll tell you what he also has done is he's been a world record holder of the Cannonball Run, which is a coast-to-coast car well you can't really car race against time i guess yeah, you could yeah, say yeah. uh which he held from in 2013 yep. 2013 said? to 2019 yes uh, a, a long span in, in today's terms uh which we'll get into yeah but. for sure but we've got ed on the line ed say hello hey thanks for having me back yeah so we were super excited to talk about the cannonball run and the craziness that has happened recently with the records because of covid and all the traffic that has not been there. But we want to hear the backstory of what made you get the crazy idea that you were going to set out to break the record of this crazy race. So a lot of us saw the goofy 1981 movie with Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise and the Rat Pack. And what most people may not understand is that that was actually a real thing. In the 1970s, there was a coast-to-coast New York to L.A. race where the idea was there are no rules. You just drive as fast as you can. And it was organized by Brock Yates, Steve Smith from Car and Driver magazine. And they ran it five times from 1971 to 1979. It inspired some continuation events. And then as I'm growing up as a high schooler, I hear about uh, obviously the movie, but then learn that, yeah, it's a real thing. And I actually interviewed Brock Yates for a school project back in 2004 as a high school senior. And he'd released a book in 2001 about the history of Cannonball and had a lot of contributions from other people that had run the races and had continued the history. And I just, I loved it. I thought it was such an interesting and compelling part of American automotive history. And it had kind of fallen out of the public eye. It was always kind of done underground, but it was also done in in a way that people knew about. And there were a lot of articles about it in addition to the movies. And so it kind of became the stuff of legend. And as I looked at what it might be like to do a run like that in a modern context, I thought, hey, you know, a lot of the things that I'd like to think I'm good at or I'd like to prove that I could do could sort of be made manifest in an attempt to drive as fast as you can across the country. I loved cars. I loved problem solving. I loved the engineering behind it. So I wanted to figure out a way to do it. And so in speaking to Brock Yates, I told him that. I said, hey, I I know you said that there's twice as many people in the U.S., twice as many cops on the road, and that the penalties, if we ever were to get caught, are a whole lot higher, but I still want to do it. I want to see what it looks like, and I told him that one day I'd try to set the record, and it took me about 10 years, but through a a very long process of research and testing and everything else, we were able to do it in 2013. Well, Ed, I'm interested. uh, The car that you did it in was a Mercedes CL55 AMG, if I'm not mistaken. What made you choose that car? And then specifically, the color of the car was kind of a 
uh, very cool blue. I guess that, I don't know, that really doesn't stand out on the road when uh, you're passing by the cops, but I'm just curious why you chose that vehicle. So, I mean, I love the exotic cars, your Ferraris, Lamborghinis, and everything else, but unfortunately, they are not the best cars for driving as fast as you can over a long distance. They're not the most comfortable. They don't have any space for the extra fuel that you would want. And they are definitely not inconspicuous. And so you want to find something that is comfortable that can kind of fly under the radar, both literally and figuratively. And the, the CL, any of the AMG cars, honestly, are great options. I love Mercedes products. And kind of in that decade of me chasing the idea of Cannonball, I had the unbelievable privilege of seeing a few people actually do it. So Alex Roy and Dave Maher had set the record in 2006 in a BMW M5. That was the 400-horsepower VA, the E39 model. And they kind of put it into that modern context. They had a, a great kind of cue car, as you might call it, one of these cars that is very technological, very fast, but also comfortable, one of these Audubon stormers. And, and now around the same time, Richard Rawlings and Dennis Collins of Gas Monkey Garage had claimed a time of 31 hours and 59 minutes. So not quite as fast as the 31 hours and four minutes that Roy and Maher had done, but still an unbelievable time and faster than any of the previous cannonball times. And so they did it in a Ferrari 550 Marinello. So certainly an exotic car, but more of a grand touring example. So something that you could cross a continent in. And so I was able to kind of tweak the ideas that I'd had through seeing theirs and also look at the electronics they'd used and things like that. So You've got a tremendous electronic draw from all the police countermeasures that you want to use. You need a really, really strong suspension that can adapt as you burn through 400 pounds of fuel, and you need space. Obviously, you're not going to do it by yourself, and so we had a co-driver and a third person as kind of a navigator and support passenger, so you need something that's comfortable and uh, that can get the job done, but of course, it still needs to be fast. And yes, it was fast. You did it in 28 hours and 50 minutes. What Do you remember what your average speed was? Right at 100 miles an hour. It was 100.3 moving and then 98 overall. It's fantastic. That is insane. Yeah, that's an amazing uh, statistic. And, and when the uh, when all your data was released after the um, statute of limitations, uh, you know, I was one of the first to click on the article and like pour through the data. I think Doug DeMuro did that article. Um, he did. And uh, but you were the first sub 30 hour. Uh, you were the first sub 31 hour as well um, at, coming in at 2850. What's really impressive about uh, about your time and about the, the couple of times before you and the history of the race is the I believe the 32 hour and seven minute record was set in 83 and it wasn't touched again till 06. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. So that was uh, that's a that testament the, into the U.S. Express. Yeah. I mean, that's such a testament to what those guys did back then. I mean, the technology just so different than it is today. Um, and, and for people to try to chip away so many times w without it, without it coming down um, until recently is super impressive to me. Yeah. And how much did you have to, I'm just thinking about preparing for this. So what did you do to prepare for this in terms of going out and driving? you just like, okay, I'm just going to go out right now and just go as fast as I possibly can. Not exactly. I mean, when you think about having to average the speeds like that, it's not about, you know, how hard you can keep your foot down. It's about how much you really cannot slow down and it's avoiding stops. It's developing a strategy that allows you to maintain speed and avoid detection and build a team around it. And so, 
you know, we had, uh, you know, people witnessing from at home, people who had driven the route days before in parts of it, and a few people that actually acted as scouts. That was kind of a new idea that we deployed, honestly, because I didn't have much money to do this. I was shoestringing the budget together. I bought a 115,000-mile heavily depreciated CL-55. It was all I could afford. And, you know, it was very different than the trust-funded approaches that I, of the records that I was trying to beat. And so I was, you know, really trying to think of the right recipe, kind of breaking down the big problem into all the little problems that I could digest and find a solution for. And so that's what we did, and, and that's what worked. Yeah, I know uh, you've talked about um, the, the previous record holder, you know, I, I believe spent like half a million dollars or something like that. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. And, and you, I've heard you say you came in around 10% of that, which is amazing. Um, and you know, still I, every dollar I had. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I, and I got to see, I actually was at a ca- caffeine and octane a few years back and, and got to, got to see your car. Uh, I don't think I got to meet you, but, um, yeah, I, lo- I love the car choice. Uh, and you had two fuel cells in the back. Is that right? Yes, we had three total gas tanks, 67 total gallons. We had three radar detectors, two laser jammers, a police scanner, a CB radio, an ambulance traffic light changers, all the GPS systems you could ever want, tracking devices, tablets, and everything, you know, phones running Trapster at at that point, and Waze, which is still a thing, and high-powered binoculars, all the stuff. That's incredible. What... What does it take to prove that you did what you did? So what what is that like data that you are giving as proof that this is the actual time that I did this? So there's not a governing body of outlaw cross-country road racing. So you don't really have anybody to submit it to. It's usually interesting enough from a cultural perspective that you can get a couple of news articles written about it and so pretty much you've just got to have enough proof to make a normal news outlet feel good about it and fortunately when i was attempting it we could go beyond your gas receipts and toll receipts and photos and things like that we could use tracking devices that would use cellular data and tell a third party that you couldn't manipulate where your car was and so we used the same tracking devices that I used to use for my exotic car rental fleet. And, uh, but that company that we had used had no idea. Well, the CEO knew what we were going to do with it, but in the time between when he and I had that conversation and when we actually did it, they had grown from a very small, you know, home office in Texas to, you know, 300 employees, and they did not want to be getting calls from CNN asking them to verify, you know, the world's longest street race. <laughs> and so I, he was reluctant, but he obviously did vouch for everything that we did. And he said, yeah, this is real in the car. You know, the, the device was never disconnected. It's not like they got it on a plane and flew it across. Like, you know, what he said happened. And so that was kind of the end all be all of proof. The problem was when we pulled into the Portofino and, uh, looked at looked at the data it was so wildly incriminating that in the 93 counties we drove through it could have easily earned us a year in jail in each of them and so i couldn't just go out and make it public uh because it i would have been you know endlessly prosecuted for that so i uh, we had to wait a year because the statute limitations on speeding and reckless driving and endangerment vary between uh three six and twelve months depending on which state it is 
And so at that point, we were then finally able to release the data, although the news outlets had already you know, seen it. But when I say seen it, I mean, they stood in front of me and held my iPad and scrolled through it and then handed it back to me. <laughs> I couldn't even send it to them. Yeah, I like uh, that's what fascinates me about this whole thing is and especially the way you approached it. And I think the guys have approached it since is it's an outlaw race. But but you guys are really putting in the work to make it as safe and practical. And you're covering your own basis, too. But the preparation is fascinating. And you guys are on the road as much as possible when others aren't on the road as much as possible. So, and I know we'll get into COVID in a second, but yeah, I mean, when you hear Ed talk about this and other guys that have done it, I mean, you're like, these guys are true professionals for sure. I mean, well, there was some, well, when you hear the story, you're like, these guys are nuts. But when you actually yeah. look into it, it is very professional. Yeah. I mean, just all the equipment they're using, the spotters, like all kinds of stuff. I mean, it, as odd as it is to say, they're doing this safely. I know, you know, you listen to that and you're like, how in the world are you averaging 100 miles per hour and you're doing it safely? But these guys are, they really are because of all the measures that, that they've got in place. There was the one guy, and I'm, I'm forgetting his name now, but he did the solo run in his yeah. uh, Mustang. Fred Ashmore. Now that one, I was a little like, okay, that, <laughs> you know, that had some questionable stuff there because, but you know, he still had help. You know, there were there were still measures that he took. And so that was a really interesting uh, YouTube video that I watched on the on the solo run. Josh, what were you going to say? Yeah. So Ed, take us into modern day. Like, what are we you know, your record was broken in 2019 pre-COVID. It was done in another Mercedes AMG. But once we're into COVID, what are, what are we doing? What are you guys doing as a community as far as how do you designate these races? I mean, this is unprecedented times sure. it's kind of is it cheating what are we saying here so after we set the record uh, as and in fact as i was researching you know everything that i possibly could surrounding cannonball and everything i couldn't find any evidence that anyone had really tried to beat alex roy and dave maher's record uh they claimed that five to six people tried a year but there were no times claimed that were slower than it. There was, I mean, nobody had made a forum post about it hmm. by any means. And so immediately after our story got released, I did start to get contacted by a ton of people that were inspired by it, or at least had been interested in it. And they all wanted to talk about their plans to go driving. And uh, the most important thing as anyone who becomes attached to the community of idiots that care about this sort of thing is that in the 50 years of pursuing it, there have been no accidents involving any other cars. There's been no injuries apart from a girl in 1975 that was in a limousine that was a part of the race that ran off the road because everybody in it fell asleep and nobody was wearing seatbelts and she broke her arm. Hmm. Like that's it. Uh, and so there's, there's an immaculate history of safety that has to be maintained. And so as the you know unofficial torchbearer of it, after we set the record, I started to really bring people together, mostly out of efficiency, so that as I answered questions, I wouldn't have to do it a hundred times. But it started to de develop this community of cannonballers. And once we launched the VinWiki app, and then a year later, the YouTube channel that we used to promote it, Part of the reason we did the YouTube channel was to capture cannonball stories because I didn't have that many 
that I could find prior. And I wanted to have a way to kind of immortalize that and document the hobby a little bit more thoroughly than anyone had been able to. And so it's, it resulted in kind of, you know, I knew this was sort of a hazard of doing so a lot more people trying to beat my record. And I knew that the community that I would enjoy being a part of would probably also be the reason that eventually my record fell. And it did. In fact, it was two guys that met, uh, while coming to film car stories at Dinwiki. So, <laughs> uh, didn't great. know each other prior and wanted to figure out a way to, to beat me. And I understand that's all well and good. And they came and told the story on Dinwiki. So it all works out. Then there, we had all been talking about doing a collective run on April 4th, not really as a race, but as a, you know, different people wanted to try different things. They had cars they'd been building. A friend of mine has built a perfect replica of the ambulance that was in the movie and that actually ran in 1979. It was driven by Brock Yates. And I, uh, so we were going to just drive that thing across. It wouldn't have been fast. It wouldn't have been comfortable, but it would have uh, maybe made it probably broken down. Um, <laughs> but as the virus started to spread and as the shutdown started to be announced, most of us just kind of decided, well, we'll just wait. There's no, we, we didn't need to do it right now. So we won't, but some of the other guys were pretty darn serious about it. And so they decided to go and I knew that. So I had actually made a video for our YouTube channel talking about whether or not it was that advantageous. Like what, what could you look for? And, you know, we had kind of thought it would be certainly an advantage that there wouldn't be anybody on the road, but it also might be a lot harder to blend into traffic when you needed to, when you came across the speed trap. Now, what we didn't know at that point is that the cops were so scared of the virus that they weren't pulling anybody over. <laughs> and so that weekend, there were uh, three different runs that went very, very quickly, and uh, a new record was set. So from the guys that had beaten my record with a time of 27.25 in November of 2019, the record dropped to 26.38 in a reasonably unprepared it had a marine fuel cell plumbed in in the trunk it was in a leased audi a8 that this kid had borrowed without necessarily permission from his father <laughs> and it was nobody we'd ever heard of but i got an email when they were in arizona saying hey these guys are about to beat the record you want to follow them on his tracking device and so we saw them and it was true and they had done it um and the other two runs, one was a solo run that was insane, not quite as fast as Fred eventually went, but uh, and another was a diesel time. So the guys in a, I don't know, 250 horsepower diesel car beat our time by 20 minutes. Wow, um, which was unbelievable and awesome. And so over the course of the next six weeks, there were eight runs that would have beaten my time. So it took dozens and dozens of attempts in earnest money no object kind of efforts to eventually beat 2850 it was now being done by just about anybody who wanted to go out there i'm gonna say all of those deserve asterisks after them because it's just not it's not the same thing i don't know well and that's what they said most of these guys had done it in a more traditional time where you had to contend with traffic and you didn't go hours on end without ever touching your brakes and so they realized that it was a different thing. But at the same time, look, it's a game of no rules. Like you can't really <laughs> right. say that it's a, it's a different game now that things are, but it, but it is. Yeah. And so the, the, fortunately what we saw for most of it was 
you know, that anybody could go out there and set a pretty crazy time. And towards the end of it, we had two absolutely insane times that probably can't even be beaten by a really strong car and a really strong team. Like they still had a whole lot of stuff go right. In addition to the fact that the roads were deserted. And so I think the death knell is probably in there at this point. And I don't think the, the record's going to advance anymore. But, um, yeah, it was definitely a, an unbelievable time. So you have that question, right? Like it's kind of a Sosa McGuire era of cannonballing where there's this advantage that had never been afforded to people previously, or at least not nearly in the way that this happened. And so how do you compartmentalize those times? And people have introduced the idea of an asterisk or, you know, a COVID cannonball contest that, you know, is, is its own little thing. But I don't know that we can say what that is or should be just yet. You know, when you look back on, you know, how you categorize sailing times when there's wind or marathons that net downhill, like at first they're just marathons or sailing contests or Olympics where they wear swimsuits to cover their whole bodies and are hydrophobic. Or you realize that it destroys the pursuit. And I think that's the bigger risk right now. Um, there are that I don't see how anyone would take the risks and try in a normal world that isn't shut down to try to beat the existing times. And then the question is, well, would it even matter if you claim to beat the other times, the ones that preceded COVID? And so I think we're going to have to look at it a year or two from now and see if anybody tries it before and, and how successful they are before we decide how these have to be viewed. Yeah, that's I mean, I haven't even thought about that. That That's such an interesting viewpoint of now that the record is so low, have you eliminated that desire that this that so many people have had for so long to even go out there and put themselves out there. I doubt it. I doubt it. There's still going to be the guy that's going to try it, you yeah. know, even when stuff gets back to normal. And honestly, maybe maybe the traffic will be less even when this is over, because just so many people are going to be working from home permanently now, because I think I think there's going to be such a shift uh, to working from home even after long after the uh, COVID goes away. And so I don't know, maybe there'll be generally less traffic. Who knows? I think there will be less, but that's a big difference from zero. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. When you get the trucks off the road, that's a big, yeah, that's a big deal. Trucks were the problem. Uh, the trucks didn't stop and they didn't have hour logs and requirements and really any oh, interesting. measures whatsoever. Uh, they took the governors off of many of them. And so the guys did run into a lot more truck traffic than normal, but it was still a, a significant difference, and there were there were there were fewer trucks, but it was they noticed them a lot more, I suppose. Well, this has been extremely interesting, and our, to our listeners, there is a wealth of information and stories about the Cannonball on Ed's YouTube channel. So you could literally spend. I mean, you can spend hours like listening to these stories and they're super interesting. So definitely go check that out. Ed, is there is there anything else you wanted to share with our listeners anywhere, any websites you could point them to that we didn't already mention and that sort of thing? No, thank you all guys for having us. And uh, be sure to check out the VinWiki YouTube channel and download the free VinWiki app to tell the story of your car. 
For sure. Ed, thanks so much again for being on the show with us today. Guys, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Be kind, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and we will catch you guys next time. 